This episode is dedicated to the African Wildlife Foundation. Established in 1961 and headquartered in Kenya, the AWF protects African wildlife in 15 countries through species conservation, community empowerment, and land and habitat protection. To learn more and donate, visit awf.org. From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature, real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Erin Jones. This time, we'll hear about a man who found that making the land wild again awakened something wild in him, too. And then he started to walk fast down the mound, and the whole time he's growling. And when a lion growls at you, it sounds like someone started a dirt bike up in the brush ahead of you. It's a very intense sound. It's like... Boyd Vardy is an animal tracker at Londolozi Game Reserve in South Africa. The story begins, like many good stories, with the intake of large quantities of gin. In 1926, my great-grandfather bought a bankrupt cattle farm. The cattle farm was in a dry savanna woodland called the Bushfeld. Tough conditions for raising cattle, made even tougher by the lions that were eating the cattle. The property is in the wild eastern part of South Africa, open to the 10 million acre wilderness area of Kruger National Park. And my great-grandfather, after too many gin and tonics, thought this would be a good place to go to hunt lions. So he bought it sight unseen, and for three generations, my great-grandfather, then my grandfather, then my father and uncle, they would go there to hunt. After three generations of lion hunting, Boyd's father and uncle decided to end the hunting and start a photo safari business. To do that, to create a place where wild animals would want to live, meant returning the damaged land to its natural state. Actually restoring the land to its original state that it had been in before the cattle had overgrazed it, and actually cultivating a kind of kinship with the local people who lived in the area and with the animals. It's now the best place in the world to see leopards. In fact, it's the highest density of leopards in the world. And it's just a a place where a certain kind of harmony has been restored between people and animals and landscape. When Nelson Mandela was released from prison, he came to stay at our property. And there he saw that our livelihoods, black and white, we were all being cared for by the land. And he said that he saw Londolozi as a place that represented the possibility of what South Africa could be, a place where people of different cultures were living in harmony with each other, a place where people were living in relation to the majesty of the natural world and the creatures that lived there. People from other parts of the world come to what was formerly a bankrupt cattle farm and see a thriving wilderness, and they say to themselves, this is possible. We can do this. If we take one step towards nature, nature's going to take a thousand steps towards us. It was into that mentality and consciousness of 
being in partnership with nature and restoring our relationship with the natural world that I was born and raised. And from the time that I was very young, I watched my family working on cultivating, in a very physical way, restoration of parts of the land and thinking of the animals as their kin, totally wild animals, and starting to try and create guided experiences that took people into nature. I would go out every day with my uncle. He would come to my room at about five in the morning from the time I was five or six years old. He would knock on the door and I'd put my clothes out the night before I would wake up. I would put the clothes I had laid out on and then I would go find him and he would be revving an old Land Rover to try and get the engine warmed up at the back of our house. And then we would go out pretty much all day to go and try and film leopards. There was one particular leopard they would look for. She was a small female with a broken canine. I remember on an overcast day, it was about mid-morning and it was cool. And she was lying on the top of a small termite mound and she spotted a female warthog with piglets. She immediately started to stalk them and I think the reason she was willing to stalk in the middle of the day is because it was cool. And we watched all of this play out. Eventually she got very close, she burst in on them and she caught two piglets almost immediately. There was this incredible squealing sound and then she ran with both of the piglets in her mouth and she hoisted them up into a tree. And the mother and the third piglet ran off. And so there was just this feeling of us being able to see things that, you know, very few people would see. It was just hours of this incredible intimacy. Any time that we were being able to view her, it's because she was allowing it. If a leopard doesn't want you to see her, she'll disappear in a few strides. Uh, they have this incredible ability to just vanish. And so it felt very special any time we were witnessing her, we were being allowed to witness her, and that felt very important. Those experiences introduced Boyd to the art of tracking. His family worked with a local tracker from the Shangan people, who have lived in that part of South Africa for hundreds of years. He was just the most incredible naturalist, an incredible tracker by the name of Elmon Mshongo. And Elmon had grown up hunting and gathering. And so from the time I was young, I was exposed to hours and hours with this man. And I, and I watched how the art form of tracking works. I watched how nature speaks and how you can tune into a language in the wilderness and how you can learn to let that environment speak to you if you teach yourself to see certain things, if you teach yourself to tune in. And so my passion then became the art form of tracking, how you follow the faint trail of an animal and how you weave yourself into its story. There are two kind of main components to tracking. The first is what you would call track and sign. Track and sign is the ability to go out and find scat to find where the branches of a tree have been broken, calls, bird calls, alarm calls of different animals. All of that would be track and sign. And it's your ability to know, oh, a honey badger made this, a porcupine uh, was feeding on the roots of this tree. You start to get a sense of what was going on by understanding track and sign. The next part of tracking is what is known as following, or in America, they call it trailing. Following is your ability to find the track of say a lion, a leopard, a rhino, any animal, 
and follow that animal on the path that it's moved on through the wilderness. I would say that the the Shangan trackers who I grew up with are some of the best trackers in the world. And they can follow the tracks of a single female leopard for hours and hours and hours as she moves about through the wilderness. And, you know, a tracker doesn't see clear footprints, one clear footprint, then another clear footprint. They train their eye and they actually train a connection between their eye and their brain to develop search images that start to allow them to see these very subtle marks. They know how a leopard moves and they can almost get into the mentality of the leopard as it moves up ahead of them, being able to follow an animal across a landscape for hours and hours and hours and ultimately discover it so that we can get people who are on photographic safaris to come and view them, have encounters with those animals, and then leave those animals to go about their day. One day, Boyd was returning from a morning of tracking on the reserve. Suddenly, I cut across the tracks of a single male lion, and I could tell that the tracks were incredibly fresh. But I was by myself now. I had been out with a team of other trackers, and then they had gone back to the camp, and I was now by myself. But I, when I looked at the tracks, I could see that the tracks of this male lion were on top of the tracks of a herd of impala that had come through there. And I thought to myself, you know, these tracks are so fresh, I should, I should just follow them quickly. In tracking terms, we would say the track pops. It's like the freshness of the track allows you to very quickly see the tracks. And I started to move quite fast down the trail. You just feel yourself very tuned in. You're listening very carefully. Your senses sharpen. And I felt myself going into that state as I followed. And I must have gone for maybe 15, 20 minutes or so. And then I came down the trailhead and the trail opened slightly. And as it opened at about 30 yards from me, there was a large termite mound. Imagine an igloo made out of sand with a small single chimney-like turret on it, probably about six foot high and lying on top of the termite mound facing directly towards me was a big male lion. The mane was sort of rising up out of this scratchy grass and being up on the termite mound, his size was amplified by the fact that he was almost above me. And immediately as I saw him, our eyes sort of locked. He dropped his head and he put his ears back. And I could see there was an intensity in the look in his face. The thing about lions is, is normally what should happen is when you encounter them, generally speaking, their inclination is to get away from you. Occasionally, if they have cubs or if they have meat or if there's some sort of extenuating circumstance that you don't know about, they will come at you. And when they come at you, the way I would say it is a kind of unspoken language starts to travel between you. And it's a language of presence. They convey to you with their body, their mood, and then you have to convey back your mood. And there's a kind of energetic conversation that goes on without saying a word. So immediately as I saw him, I, I, I saw that he was in an aggressive mood. He dropped his head and he started to flick his tail and he started to growl. 
and the look on his face i almost felt the energy come off of his face it was it was a very intense gaze and then he stood up on the mound and as he stood up i felt my heart rate start to go up and i felt a voice inside of myself go stand stand still if you run when a lion charges you it triggers an instinct in the lion and he can't help himself he's going to run after you and he's going to catch you and then you're in big trouble and then he started to walk fast down the mound and the whole time he's growling and when a lion growls at you it sounds like someone started a dirt bike up in the brush ahead of you it's a very intense sound it's like and then he broke into a run and he started to charge towards me and i felt all of these ancient systems in my in my endocrine system fire and i felt the adrenaline come and i felt my body full with a kind of energy and i felt my knees bend naturally and i dropped my posture slightly and i started to kind of expand myself in a certain way to meet the charge and then as he came at me i advanced two steps towards him and that stopped him at about 12 or 13 yards and he dropped down into the grass and he's still whipping his tail the lips are curled up over the teeth there's just an incredible intensity and he just continues to growl and i started to shout at him a little bit and then he turned and he made his way away from me back towards the direction which he had come and just in that moment something incredibly honest happened between myself and that lion he felt uncomfortable that he was being followed and all that he was doing is he was giving me a boundary he was saying to me i don't want to be followed today and don't approach me and it was just very very honest and what i've learned in the natural world is that it's an honest environment it there's a set of principles and rules and if you respect them and if you pay attention and if you conduct yourself inside of those set of rules the animals are very very honest you know all of the stuff you see about death week and man eaters it's not really the case it's a case of there are a set of rules out there and i received the message i was able to stand my ground to compute the message and then i left him alone I thought about that lion I thought about that night as I lay in bed I had flashes of him standing up on the mound and, and the intensity of the aggression coming off him and the stride and the gait of his body coming down that mound towards me that played in my mind almost in repeat and I, so I knew that I had been thoroughly awakened by the experience that was it was etched into my psychology in some sort of way I felt that he was helping me discover my courage and I'll tell you honestly my heart had pounded intensely I mean that sort of thing will turn your your systems way up but I felt like that lion had gifted me something and I was always very grateful for that Experiencing that fear and finding his courage made Boyd want to push further into the bush to feel that aliveness This time Boyd and two other trackers were looking for a group of lions near a river. As we were walking down the path, I threw my eyes down the path because I heard a sound and the sound I would say the only way I could describe it is it was the sound of like sounded like wet canvas slapping. And as I looked down the path, 
Walking towards us down the path was a huge elephant bull. And this elephant had actually been down into the river and he had bathed in the river and he had mud bathed in the river. He was totally covered in mud. He was black, 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 black as anthracite, glistening in the sunlight. There were clods of mud falling off of him and he was walking directly down the path towards us. As we saw him, myself and my two friends, we kicked the ground and a small puff of dust came up and blew on the breeze. And as one, all of us stepped in the direction that the dust had blown. There was a small kind of palm tree, a reclinata palm. And we dropped down and we almost climbed in underneath it. We realized that if we were downwind, well hidden by the palm and we stayed very still, there was a very good chance that the elephant would just walk past us. And still this elephant continued to advance. And I must say we probably, you know, two or three yards off the path. We're very close to the path. And as this elephant came towards us, the only way I can describe it as I crouched there next to my friends is it felt to me like someone had banged a giant gong. And this tremendous vibration started to fill the air. And it was almost as if the presence of this animal was traveling in a kind of circular aura around him. And I felt the energy go, his presence, and the scope of it, the size of it, the age of it. I felt something very ancient waking up inside of me. And I felt his energy go in me, and I felt my own body almost starting to vibrate with the wisdom and scope of this animal. We were so close to him that we could hear his feet compressing onto the ground. And he walked till he was almost directly in line with us and then where we had been standing on the path he smelt us and he stopped and we were so close that I could hear clods of mud that had covered his body falling off of him I could feel the mud landing I could smell the crushed vegetation of his breath and he stood there for a few minutes and he actually used his trunk to pick up some of the soil where we'd been standing and he was testing the scent and then with this huge head he started to tilt his head as he looked around. It was as if he was aware that there was something around here, something had been here. And then for a moment he just stood and I felt ourselves very still and present inside of his presence. And then he shook his head and he started to move away from us. And as he moved away from us, it was as if that gong that had been struck in my body started to slowly come to a stillness inside of a new center. And I felt like that elephant had rung something inside of me and brought something very ancient alive inside of me. As he walked away and we watched him go, that huge body glistening, disappearing down the path that we had just walked down. I thought of Joseph Campbell's quote where he says, People are not looking for the meaning of life, they are looking for the feeling of being alive. Our storyteller was Boyd Vardy. He's the author of The Lion Tracker's Guide to Life and Cathedral of the Wild. And we have a link to his TED Talk at our website, humannaturepodcast.org.
And you can see photos from Londa Lozzi on social media. Follow Human Nature Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and Human Nature Pod on Twitter. You can find me at Erin JNS. I'm Erin Jones. This episode was produced by Micah Schweitzer and edited by me, Megan Fury, Greg Ronco, Anna Rader, and Alex Schaefer. The theme music is by Caught a Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. 